Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. I'm your host, Hannah Sampson. You should really think about going to the South Bronx this year, or Dubrovnik, Croatia. Don't forget Egypt, and also Canada, all of it. If those places sound familiar, you were probably reading travel stories in the New York Times or Bloomberg recently. Every year, those and other publications come up with a list of places to visit that get dissected and discussed at length, including recently at Skift for pretty much an entire day. On today's episode of the Skift Podcast, we're talking about a very specific form of travel advice, the where to go in the coming year list, and what goes into making them. Our guests are Dan Saltstein, a travel editor at the New York Times, who organized the 52 Places to Go in 2017 project for the Times. And we also have Nikki Eckstein, travel editor at Bloomberg Pursuits, who oversaw Bloomberg's Where to Go in 2017 list. They're here with me, Skift podcast host and editor Hannah Sampson, and editor-in-chief Jason Clampett. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, Okay, so let me just dive right in, uh, and we'll start with you, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, can you walk me through the process a little bit? Um, do you, do you try to consider what other places might pick and avoid those? Um, do you send reporters to check out a place before you pick it? Tell me, tell me how you put this list together. No and no, <laughs> but I will tell you, uh, how the rest of it goes. So, um, we start Earlier and earlier every year, it just gets more and more complicated. Um, so this year we started, I think, in sort of mid-September, sort of conceptualizing what we wanted to do for the list. This is our 12th year um, doing the list, but sort of our maybe fifth or sixth doing it sort of in this in this format. Um, and uh, the first thing we do uh, is basically reach out to all of our regular uh, contributors, many of whom are based overseas or travel the world certainly more than we do as editors stuck behind uh, computers um, and get their sense of where we basically ask them, where would you send somebody in the coming year? So not just where's a great place to travel, but where's a great place to travel this year. Um, And we get hundreds and hundreds of pitches in. And at a certain point, we have a marathon meeting amongst the editors in the travel section, uh, which lasts for hours and gets progressively more and more punchy as we go along. Um, And we sort of look for a few different things. One is that same sort of why now question. Um, Another is a sort of uh, eye towards having a diversity, both geographic and thematic across the list. So places around the world, but also places for food lovers, for art lovers, for um, budget travelers, et cetera. Um, and places that are sort of maybe a combination of places that are emerging in some way that, um, people may not be thinking about, maybe a slightly counterintuitive, um, South Bronx would, I think, fall into that category. Um, and also places that people may not have even heard of, um, which there are a couple on this list that I had literally never heard of and was sort of amazed to read about them. Um, so we don't send the reporters to report on them, but they do sort of report them out and and um, try to find um, you know as much specific information as they can um, before we assign them out. Mm-hmm. 
And how's it go, Bloomberg, Nikki? Well, very different to the New York Times. This was actually our first time doing a list like this. Bloomberg Pursuits is a really young brand. Um, we've only been around for a couple of years. And when I came on last May, I was the first travel editor to be hired at Bloomberg Pursuits. And I'm the only person who works on travel content in a dedicated fashion. So unlike you guys at the Times who have a team and can kind of dissect all of these pitches and you have a, a long um, a long list of writers who contribute to you guys, what we're doing is, is really kind of scrappy and startup-like in its nature. So our process differs for reasons that stem from that. Um, I tried to start my list in September. Um, that's when I kind of pitched the, the concept and I said, you know, this is a space that Bloomberg can really jump into. But the back and forth with our development team actually... Uh, delayed our our ability to really get started on it until much later, and we ended up with a very compressed timeline that I will definitely <laughs> revise next year. Um, we did bring writers aboard, and for the most part, you know, we we look at our places in a similar way that you described, Dan. But we do try to assign um, to writers who have a very strong familiarity and context for the places that they're writing about, especially when these places are a little bit off the beaten track. I do think that it's really important to be able to assess the um, the value of the news that's coming into a place and what that means for the landscape and how the place is changing in the coming year. So we do have a real mindfulness towards that. Um, and as far as looking at other lists, you know, we just wanted our list to be different in its format more so than in the places the news is the news. So the things that excite a lot of us excite a lot of us for a reason, you know, yeah. and there's going to be overlap naturally. But we wanted to make sure that we approached the list with a sensibility that was uh, very, you know, endemic to Bloomberg as a brand. Um, a lot of our readers are in the business profession and they are very data savvy and data minded. So we layered on, you know, different pieces of information. We did hotel pricing from Google, looking at average prices each month of the year. And then we also got insights from travel specialists who know those destinations who recommended this is the best time to go, this is the worst time to go. And that kind of added a service component that we thought differentiated the list more so than the places themselves. Was there a difficult pick this year that, well, since you weren't arguing with other people, but uh, arguing within your, with yourself uh, about uh, including on the list this year? Well, we we actually overassign the list by a few. So we actually like we actually assigned fifty five places. Mm-hmm. So what um, are the three outtakes? <clears throat> I'm not going to say, but but <laughs> nice try. But um, but I will say that that um, the the reason we do that is because there's always a few that once they sort of come in in their their final form, um, either the photography comes in and that's not very strong, or we read it and we're sort of like mm, it's a little flat. It's not you know what I mean. It's sort of not what we would ideally include on the list. Um, obviously, in the literal sense, you could include thousands of places. I mean, there's stuff going on all over the world uh, every year. Um, but um, there are a couple of places that definitely, on, on, the, on the list, that definitely cause more discussion. Um, there's, always, <laughs> there's always a domestic destination that somebody in the room is sort of like, oh, really? Are we going to, you know, like, <laughs> like the um, Sedona, for instance? Well, Sedona, actually, I don't know. I, I think Sedona is Sedona's a, a pretty pretty strong one. The one that, that probably is, has been, has been, I don't know if controversial is quite the right word, but um, we put Detroit at number nine, which I think a lot of people um, have, the re- reaction has sort of been like, really, like, am I really 
going to Detroit? And my answer is like, yeah, yeah, you're really going to Detroit. I mean, I really think that it's, I mean, you know, one of the things, I mean, going back to your question, Hanna, about overlaps and other, other lists, we get, the, one of the fascinating things for me is when we get overlaps in our pitches. So like when, you know, a bunch of different writers pitch the same place and not just because of like a single event or, you know, a hotel opening or a, an anniversary or something like that. Um, and Detroit popped up on a whole bunch of, of people's radar for various reasons. Um, and uh, I think, you know, with places that are a little bit counterintuitive like that, I mean, everybody loves a good comeback story. And I think that's sort of, Detroit Trail sort of falls into that category where it's obviously, they've obviously gone through a lot of um, struggles over the last couple of decades, culminating in the bankruptcy filing a few years ago. Um, and uh, it really has made like this incredible comeback. And um, they're not sort of, you know, past their, past their difficulties, but um, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And um, a lot of, young artists, restaurateurs, and entrepreneurs sort of, you know, doing interesting startup stuff. Um, there's going to be a giant new stadium opening in the fall. That's going to be the new home to the, um, to the Red Wings and the Pistons. Um, beautiful art museum. I mean, this is, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So that's one that I think that, um, that sort of, uh, that sort of popped up. And then there's also obviously you have to deal with sort of safety issues and things like that. We don't want to put anything on the list that's going to actually put anybody in, in serious jeopardy. Um, but there are some other places that are probably not for your average traveler, maybe more for your slightly more ambitious ones. So like Gabon, for example, is a place that is relatively politically stable, but um, did have a very contentious election last year. Um, and I think we with those sort of situations, we always try to sort of nod to that in the item. They're very short the items, but you know, even just in a half a sentence or something like that, just give a sense that, um, you know, uh, to give a little bit of context for people and um, sort of so they can go and do a little bit more research and a deeper dive sort of with that in mind. We definitely, we made some controversial choices. I think to an extent, you know, it's interesting. We had 20 places, you guys had 52. Um, when you're looking at a smaller list, you really have to scrutinize each decision in a different way, I think. And uh, that was something that fell on my shoulders pretty squarely. But we originally started thinking about the list and we started thinking about ways that we could differentiate the, the format of the list. And one of the things that we thought about were, what are the types of travelers that we think our readers would fall into? What are those categories? Some of them are very intrepid, adventurous travelers. Some of them are business travelers. And then there's stuff in between. So we tried to pick different destinations that kind of matched those different travel personas and at least have a couple represented for each. And then when it came to the intrepid places, we, uh, we, you know, we kind of went, we went far out. We decided to put Iran on the list, which I think was probably our most controversial choice. But that was a moment where I did kind of think about other publications for a second. And I thought to myself, if someone else runs Iran on their list, am I going to regret not having put it on mine? And that was a good gut check in a way. It didn't matter whether anyone else was putting it on their list. It was just a nice way for me to take the temperature of how I really felt about it. And I asked a lot of people in my close circles, you know, other travel editor friends or other people in the industry. It turned up that actually a lot of people are really interested in going to Iran. It kind of feels like the next Cuba in some ways. And people really want to get to places first. So we have to make that call. You know, who's going to say that it's the next place to get there first, first? So we took that chance. And actually, the news really 
substantiated the claim. There are a lot of five-star, very luxury-driven travel operators. We highlighted Cox and Kings who are doing amazing trips that that really take you not just to the main cities in Iran, but off the beaten path. And I think that that's part of the appeal. So I think that was our our toughest decision. And then we went for a lot of places that we think our readers are probably going to end up anyway, but they might not know that there's a whole new side to see. Places like Shanghai or Japan that a lot of our business travelers are going to be passing through, or even Miami for that matter. Um, just kind of saying there's a, there's a new side to this place that you you might very well end up in already. Yeah. Dan, you mentioned um, not wanting to send people to places that are unsafe, but I mean, if the last year has shown us anything, it's that mm. like we thought that Brussels and Nice right. were perfectly safe and and they're not. Orlando, for that matter, right. Fort Lauderdale. Um, how much does that weigh on you when you're making these selections and um, and other, you know, the possibility or the recency of other disease or natural disaster? Right. Zika got a mention in your Sedona right. entry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, you're right. It's, it, it does weigh heavily on us and it's, it's something we don't take lightly. I mean, uh, we obviously live in a world where, um, I mean, it sort of, you know, natural disasters, um, disease that sort of, it falls into one category in a way. Um, and terrorism is a whole other category because as you said, it can sort of, you know, it, it can happen anywhere as we've seen. Um, and, uh, we, uh, I mean, I don't think that we would exclude, well, we certainly wouldn't exclude a place um, because there was, um, you know, a terrorist incident. I mean, um, a couple of years ago, we had Paris on the list and uh, the first major terrorist attack there happened like the week that our issue came out. And, um, you know, but I think the, the reality of any major city in the world now is it's a possibility. Um, so you take the same sort of precautions that you would, you know, uh, traveling anywhere in the world. Um, on the other hand, there are places that, um, are especially dangerous. And, and I think that we certainly have done stories on places. Um, uh, we, we, we had a, we have a spot in the list. It's a, uh, small Island off the coast of Turkey, um, which has not been touched by, you know, the violence that has sort of wrecked um, a lot of that country. Um, I love Turkey. I love Istanbul. Um, uh, a lot of our, you know, regulars, regular writers um, go there a lot. Um, that's, that's a good example of a place where um, I think it would, it would, it would at best feel sort of tone deaf to sort of include it, you know, without a mention. So even, even this little Island, Boscada, um, that uh, we included on the list, we we said you know, we made we made mention of the fact that it hadn't been touched by the violence that that. Um, um, but the truth is, to get there, you still have to fly through Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends on what kind of traveler you are. I mean, you know, the Zika thing I think has been um, sort of in a sense like a distillation of of that because it's so pointed. I mean, um, you know, when people we, we've been trying to work on a story on sort of like a Zika travel guide, basically, but it's such a moving target. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's this constantly evolving thing. So you have to do sort of a risk assessment. Yeah. I think you know every individual traveler does, and I think you have to do that on a broader scale. But for us, you know, what we sort of backtrack to is sort of two things. One is this is not a checklist; it's a starter kit. You know, so we don't expect. I mean, 
if anybody's out there who wants to go to all 52 places over the course <laughs> of the next year, we would love to hear from you. Um, but that's, you know, either nobody or very few people. So um, for us, it's about, it's about inspiration. It's about um, giving people some ideas and some options. Um, and uh, so, so, you know, what, that's one aspect of it is, is giving people um, sort of a starter kit. Um, and the other thing is, is, is to, as I said, to sort of speak to different types of travelers. So um, the truth is that most Americans don't travel overseas and it's sort of a sad reality of American life. And there's good reasons for that. Um, but um, most people don't use their passports. And so, you know, one of the things that we looked at was how can we provide a list that speaks to people, so like Nikki was saying, people who are, you know, maybe business travelers and maybe going to tack on a few days to a trip they're already doing, um, uh, you know, speak to that person and speak to a person who's looking for a really off the beaten path um, destination that's going to require like two stopovers and, you know, a investment of time and, and, and money. Um, and I think we do a pretty good job of doing that. But along the way, there are definitely assessments that we have to make. Um, and some of them are tough ones. Yeah. Nikki, you know, when I think of the lists, I always think they're kind of a distillation of kind of where we're at now, kind of our hopes for the coming year. Um, and so in that sense, and you can tell me if that's BS or not, but uh, in that sense, as you were sitting down and thinking of your list, you know, I'm just sure that was around the time of the election and things like that. And we've also had, of course, security concerns this year and also the value of the dollar versus a lot of global currencies. So great. What things like that came into consideration as you were looking forward to the, your your 2017 picks? Well, that's a really interesting question to ask an editor at Bloomberg specifically, because Bloomberg is such a global company. So something that we deal with in kind of a unique way is that we can't think about our editorial from a U.S.-centric point of view. Whereas a paper like the New York Times, for everything that you guys are doing to broaden your center from New York, still has a geographic center to its title, right? Bloomberg, most of its readers are abroad, not in the U.S. We have maybe 40% in the U.S., I think is the last that I had heard. We have a large chunk of our readers are in Asia and a large chunk are in Europe, also in the Middle East. So... Really, for us, we have to think about the big, big geopolitical issues rather than things like the strength of the dollar. The strength of the dollar doesn't matter to all of our readers. doesn't matter to most of our readers. So that's one thing. The distance of getting to places. You know, Dan, you said there are places on your list that require two stopovers and maybe a full day of travel. I think about that for myself. I can't think about that for my readers. Just as many of my readers are going to be based in Beijing as they are in New York. So that's something that really kind of changes the dynamics of the way that we make our decisions. It also makes a difference as to how we describe our destinations, right? That sense of discovery that we often talk about as travel editors can really come out as being a very American sense of discovery. Maybe a lot of Americans haven't gotten to Sri Lanka yet, but if I tell that to my friends who are out in Mumbai, they're going to laugh at me. So the way that we think about our destinations as being either uncharted or undiscovered or problem-free or you know free of conflict and other things or value-driven, all of that is completely relative to the people that you're talking to. So we did think about- it, Does that make it harder to like get somebody in your mind as your ideal reader? I think I have a pretty clear understanding of who our reader is in the sense of the lifestyle that they lead. Mm. But 
it does kind of make you question some of your own personal instincts sometimes and makes you think in a different way. Um, in regards to this list, we thought about issues like terrorism, ISIS, the refugee crisis. We didn't think too much about Zika because speaking to this lifestyle audience question, our readers are largely male, um, really business driven. So they're not always thinking on the family side of things, though some of them do. And Zika is just less of a concern, I think, for that demographic. Um, so those were some of the big picture things that we looked at, and they definitely shaped our list. And yet we can kind of go more far flung in a way without feeling like we're alienating anyone for it being too far away. But on the flip side, we also have to be cautious that the places that we're selling are going to appeal to a global crowd. We're talking a lot about your readers and the people who are going to be taking these trips. How much are you thinking about the destinations themselves and whether putting a place on the list will contribute to some kind of like fragility in their tourism infrastructure or, you know, if they're already struggling like Venice with right. handling the number of tourists that they have, I, I guess, like, are you, are you worrying about the destinations themselves? Right. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I, 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 we don't put a lot of thought into that, you know, and to be honest in the grand scheme of things, um, we certainly think about it in the sense of, um, I mean, there are a couple of places on our list that like we included, for example, the great barrier reef, which is a pretty counterintuitive choice in the sense that like, you know, my instinct is to say, don't go to the Great Barrier Reef because it's in a really bad place right now. But what we did was we wrote, we had the item written uh, from the attitude is the attitude of how can one go to the Great Barrier Reef and help? Um, and there are actually ways that people can do that. So part of me, part of me as a travel editor is, is, you know, would, would want to say like, because I did, you know, don't go, we don't want to put any more strain on that ecosystem. Um, but the other hand, if you're going to go, here are some ways that you can go and actually help out, uh, in this case, sort of um, ways in which to help the um, the native fauna um, sort of thrive. Um, and it's always a little bit of a trade-off putting a place on any sort of list like that uh, of that's of, of sort of modest scale, because you know that, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a, um, uh, Island of, uh, called Ile de Procarole of, um, on the, off the French coast. Been there. You have? Yeah. Oh my God. So I'm obsessed with this place now that's because <laughs> I literally never heard of it. And I was like, yeah. there's this gorgeous little Mediterranean Island that I had never heard of. It's short ferry ride from the mainland. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. It's like a 10 minute ferry ride, no cars, beaches, vineyard. But of course, like there's like two hotels. So like if you, you know, the list comes out, if you haven't booked your hotel in the first couple of days, <laughs> like you're probably screwed. Like you're, yeah. that, that's it. Um, so places like that are, are, are sort of tricky. So we, we try to sort of have, you know, include in the list places that are at that scale that, um, you know, you're, if you, the truth is if you're not going to get in on the ground floor, you're, you're probably not going um, with places that are just geographically broader, have a bigger infrastructure, um, et cetera, and places that are going to struggle to attract attention in the first place and that we might sort of help shine a light on. Um, I, I hope that we, that we do that. And I think, I, I, you know, I think the combination of sort of having entire countries and less big regions um, and places where there are lots of ways to, you know, to travel um, while, you know, there, um, uh, hopefully we sort of accomplish that. 
Nikki, what's been the response this year from destinations? Have you heard from any place saying thank you or yeah, awesome? People get so excited about this stuff. It means a lot to them. And uh, I think for our list, the strongest responses came from Sri Lanka and Peru. It's funny. I think this happens to you guys too. I think I've seen this phenomenon with the New York Times where whatever you put in the number one slot, everyone assumes that the list is ranked. I don't, do you guys actually, do you Assuming consider your list ranked? ranked? Yeah. That well, it's it, ranked in order of like your preference. Oh yeah. Well, I mean. Is it I, not? It sort of is. But I mean, I always, I always joke that like, you know, when people are like, I can't believe this was two spots above that. Like as if there was some sort of like actual yeah. scientific you know, ranking system that we employ. I mean, you know, we, 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 we try, I'm sure you do. We try to have sort of places that are, you know, um, we sort of have, have, you know, sort of a variety of stuff like through the list. Totally. And so like, you know, not having two places in Asia in a row exactly. or two places of the same scale in a row or things and like that. And varying the photography too, because you want That's it to be engaging to scroll through. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, we didn't even have numbers on our list. We didn't number mm. the destinations one through 20 because we didn't want to imply any sort of ranking. We actually made a pretty conscious decision about that. But Sri Lanka appeared first. We had a knockout visual from them. And we are very, very excited about that destination. But we didn't intend to place it on any kind of you know, higher footing than any of the other 19. Sri Lanka definitely interpreted this as we are number one. And they got very, very excited. Mm. We completely embraced their enthusiasm. And we are very excited for them. Um, so that's been kind of funny to watch. And uh, Peru, I think, really responded to what we wrote, specifically the text, not just being on the list, but what we said, which was that this is the year to kind of look beyond Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. And I think that that also speaks a little bit, Jason, to your question about foot traffic um, and kind of making sure that we're being mindful of the preservation of the places that we're encouraging people to visit. Uh, this was definitely an example where Machu Picchu has had way too much foot traffic. They threatened to close that site down to tourists pretty much every year. It never happens, but they threaten it all the time. And I think this is the year where people will start to just see Machu Picchu as one piece of their Peru trip. And Peruvians were so happy to hear someone cast a light on what the rest of the country has to offer. Right. They were thrilled. One of the most gratifying things to, to come out of this is when we get, um, you know, direct responses from people who live in places being like, I'm so glad that you, you know, included even down to like a single cafe or restaurant or museum or whatever. Um, you know, and a lot of, we get sort of, you know, some cheeky ones where it's sort of like, you know, you know, thanks a lot. Like, you know, now, secrets out, yeah, secrets out, you know, <laughs> um, but th th those are by far the most gratifying, uh, things that, that come out of the list. Yeah. Um, you're talking about the responses you get. I I'm wondering if you're just inundated year round with, um, destinations pitching you to be on the list and if that has any bearing how much begging do you get we have big bags of cash in my, <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my cubicle that I just I just can't open it's just not no um uh you know we do we do obviously get a lot of um get a lot of pitches I look at none of them like my I literally get an email and I delete it I get a phone call. I tell them I can't talk to them right, right, right now. Send me an email. I had to delete the email. Um, uh, um, sorry, it's <laughs> but it's true. Um, I just, you know, it's just, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to hear about 
your place. I'm happy to hear about what's going on. But the truth is that um, we just, I just can't, it's just too, A, it's too much. I mean, it's just the, it would be, I'm constantly inundated with stuff. Um, and um, B, I frankly just, I trust our writers and I trust, our, you know, our writers sort of sift through a lot of that, a lot of which is, you know, sort of BS. Um, and find the places that are actually, actually is interesting stuff going on. Um, uh, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, like, like I said before, they, these lists could be in the hundreds, if not thousands. I mean, there's stuff going on all over the world. So obviously these are sort of selective lists by definition. Um, and I think that, you know, we just, like I said before, and Mickey said before too, we just try to include sort of a, a interesting variety for, for people to, to sort of, um, look through and, and not try to make this any sort of like, I mean, our, we do rank our list, but, and so it has this sort of definitive quality to it, but we'd also do it every year. So I, there was one, I, I thought hilarious. Um, I don't know where I saw it on a blog or something like that, but, um, somebody noted, noted that our number one place is Canada. Um, but that Toronto had dropped off the list and I was like, <laughs> what do you mean Toronto? And I realized they said, because Toronto had been number eight last year, they thought that it was like a, um, you know, like, like some a kind of power ranking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was like, oh, but where did, Toronto yeah. went from eight to, to nothing to off the list. What did they do wrong? What did they do wrong? Exactly. <laughs> well, Toronto showed up on our list. So we'll give Toronto's them that. Toronto's great. I mean, <laughs> it moved. Toronto, yeah, exactly. Toronto's, I mean, it. I have nothing against Toronto. It's a great place. Um, and I think, you know, Canada as a whole was very happy. So I'm sure not worried about it. Are you being asked to defend Canada as your number one choice on a regular basis? I'm being asked to defend Canada by Canadians. That's like, <laughs> That's like they, they like, they like we, we, we did my editor, Monica, Drake and I, yeah, right. Um, we did, uh, I think a cumulative 24 CBC radio interviews. And then like I did two on, on TV, uh, Canadian TV. And they, a lot of them had this sort of like, Really? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's um, funny. Yeah, we had a similar experience. Even Bloomberg's Canadian TV station called me in on a segment mm -hmm. to explain why the city that was trashed all year last year, Toronto, mm -hmm. was suddenly one of the best cities to visit in the world this year. They literally, they did not buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, in one sense, yes. But I, and I, and I think also there's a certain attitude of like it's a that it's a little bit of a cop out to like pick this like giant country. Um, but that's sort of the sell too. I mean, to me, the sell is that it's a world unto itself. I mean, besides tropical beaches, you can find almost anything in Canada. I mean, you can certainly find beaches there, just not tropical ones. But um, I mean, our, our, we have our interactive version at nytimes.com slash travel. Um, it opens with this gorgeous drone video footage shot in Tofino, which is a surf town on the western coast of, of Vancouver Island. And I don't think people would think of Vancouver as a surf destination. Um, uh, but, um, you know, cosmopolitan cities, obviously like an unbelievable array of national parks, great food, friendly people. For Americans, a great exchange rate. Um, so, I mean, I just, I, I, and it's the 150th anniversary of the country is sort of the big pegs. So there's a lot of stuff going on across the, across the country, especially in Ottawa. Um, so to me, it's, it was, it's sort of like, you know, I, I'm happy to defend it. I think it's a, it's a great choice um, as I did last year with Mexico city. Um, and, uh, um, but yeah, there, I have, I mean, there's definitely been a, been a sort of a, a little bit of a head scratch. I do feel like we, that's a nice example to show that, you know, how differently we approached our lists in a way, because 
by virtue of us choosing Toronto, I think it does kind of speak to a fundamental difference in the way that we thought about places. But we definitely thought about destinations that were both countries and cities, as you guys did. But we we kind of used our judgment call was, how will a person plan this trip? If a person is actually going to act on the information that we're giving them, what is the format in which it's most serviceable to them? Is anyone going to plan a trip to just one town in Japan? No let's put Japan on the list. There's a lot of news in a lot of places. Is anyone going to plan a trip to all of Canada? I personally don't think so. So let's give them the city that they should go to. So we kind of use that as a barometer for us. How is somebody going to plan their actual vacation? And you know, how do we build our package around what they're going to use most readily? That's not to knock anyone's approach in any way, but it just kind of signals a change in, in the way that we thought about things and, and the way that we approach things. I think Canada's awesome. <laughs> and that shot of Vancouver was killer. Yeah. I, I like the idea that they're saying, you know, there aren't there more deserving places than us? It's yeah, very, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so Canadian. Canadian. <laughs> so Canadian. Stop, stop doing that, Canada. <laughs> you know, get an attitude. Yeah, we did. We did get a nice um, shout out on Twitter and Facebook from from Prime Minister Trudeau. So I, I, I yeah. I what did, what did the other Justin, who's from Canada, think? I uh, hasn't weighed in as far as I know, but I'm <laughs> sure he's happy. You know, you had to hear from Drake as well, yeah. but you know, maybe one of these days. You got time. It's a yeah, long exactly. Year. Yes, it yeah, is. he'll write a crappy song about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nikki, you mentioned like in Japan, there are news. Ha- there's news happening in a lot of places. Yeah. Did you feel like the common thread had to be that there was like some news going on or something newsworthy going on in the 20 places that you were picking? Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure if same for you, Dan, but yeah, can you, can you tell oh, like what kind of news? Like, So, yeah, you know, it's, it is one of those funny things where there's news everywhere. Every city has something exciting going on. For that matter, New York, where we are right now always has exciting things happening and the food scene is always changing and there's new hotels coming like every second. But, you know, we kind of have to think about where the news amounts to a substantial change in the way that you experience the place. So in Japan, what that added up to was there are several new luxury sleeper trains and different train services that will take you to really small towns in the countryside that were difficult to access before. And coupled with that, there are a couple of new um, programs there's a collective of Ryokans, for instance, that's kind of building out all of these amenities that cater directly to American travelers or English-speaking travelers who otherwise would have a little bit of a harder time accessing some of the special things about those places because they simply don't speak Japanese. So that kind of opens up the entire Japanese countryside in a way that is very exciting and very new. Um, and that's the kind of you know, fundamental change of how you experience a place that we thought about as making a place newsworthy for the purposes of this list. You know, you guys did this thing this year with the, well, this is your first year, but the Wendigo element, yeah. which I thought was a really Thanks. cool part of it. Where did that idea come from? You know, I've always been kind of obsessed with um, the ability to layer data onto these stories, these types of stories, and to kind of provide very tangible service points in that way. So this is just something that's always in the back of my head is how, how can I layer on this extra very useful information whenever I'm working on a big package. It kind of was the perfect solution to how Bloomberg Pursuits could differentiate itself from the other lists that exist out there. And again, it was super intrinsic to Bloomberg's you know, business forward culture. So it made sense for us as a brand and we thought that it just added something really compelling. Um, I've done things at, in previous roles and previous publications where I've taken 
you know, average hotel prices as a way to to explain, you know, this is the the best time to go simply for the purpose of value. But sometimes when I've done stories like that, you might find that the cheapest month to travel is, you know, to St. Bart's during hurricane season. And that's actually the worst time to be there. So you can't make these decisions off of value alone. And our readers certainly aren't going to. So that's why we thought to kind of layer on advice from travel specialists who know those markets really well, who are coordinating trips to those places, you know, every day of the year and have them also, you know, put in their two cents and say, this might be the cheapest time of the year, but definitely don't go then. And this might be the most expensive time of the year. And it's actually worth paying that premium or not. So that's kind of what we were hoping to do. Speaking of data, Dan, what percentage of your traffic in the travel section every year do you think is coming from this? And and already by looking at user behavior, what are people looking at the most? Um, so the first question, I mean, it's a huge percentage of our of our traffic. I mean, I, I uh, it's the I think places to go last year was the third most visited thing across the entire website. So it's, you know, it's by far the biggest thing that we do in travel every year. Um, it's also to my astonishment, it's has unbelievable staying power. I mean, you know, a huge percentage of our traffic comes in the first week, but people visit this list. I mean, there are, there are still people looking at last year's list. Like it's, 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 you know, it used to be that it would maybe a couple of months would, you know, go by and then it would dip a little bit and then a couple more months would dip a little bit. Last year was like throughout the year, people, it, traffic just kept coming in. And I think that speaks to both the, to the depth of the list that there's so, so much to sort of, you know, go through. Um, and also that even though there is, there are a lot of sort of pegs throughout the list, um, of to specific events or whatever. Um, it's a fun list to just sort of spend time with. And uh, even if you've, you know, missed X anniversary or the opening of whatever, um, it's always a great place to sort of go and just get inspired. Um, what was the second question? What are people looking at the most this year? Oh, right. Um, or are you able to break that down? So we we are. I mean, I haven't I, I haven't gotten a lot of data yet on sort of what people are looking at. And actually, this year we sort of baked into the interactive a lot more um, sort of you know yeah audience engagement um, triggers. So will it be able to? So this year, for example, we did a whole bunch of three sixty uh, videos over the last couple of years. We've done these we call them cinemagraphs. They're these sort of short looped videos, and they're actually very different. The 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 cinemagraphs are these very sort of beautiful placid. Um, uh, very visually driven sort of things. Um, the 360 technology, which the Times has has uh, partnership with Samsung with and has invested heavily in, um, is fascinating to me because the the quality the quality of the camera is actually not great. Um, so it's not about like I, I assumed when we were talking about 360 is that it would be um, a lot of like big vistas and you know tops of mountains and that sort of thing and it turns out that what works much better are these much more sort of intimate um sort of you know you're sur- you're surrounded by people or you're in the middle of a museum or whatever it's so like we have one for example from Paisley Park um Prince's old, uh, old home which is now a museum in, in Minneapolis um that sort of thing those actually work really well um but they're very they meaning us the times are very um uh, enthusiastic about figuring out how exactly people are using 360s. Um, I mean, one piece of breakdown I can give you is that um, 
and this was true last year, I think to a large, to almost exactly the same, same percentage. Um, it, the, the online traffic breaks down almost exactly half and half mobile and, and non. So mobile and then desktop and tablet are sort of, um, uh, it's, it's just ticked above half for, for mobile, which is incredible when I think about like, we didn't, even think about mobile presentation even a few years ago, you know, to be frank about it. Um, and now it's incredibly important part. And actually one of the one of the advantages to switching to the 360s from the cinemagraphs is the cinemagraphs, because they're short video files, don't work on mobile. Um, the 360s do and are actually sort of cooler on mobile in some ways because you can take your phone and sort of move it around and sort of like piece the space together. It's just super, it's like a little game almost. <laughs> you can try. I, I, I encourage you to try, Jason. I think you should give that a try. Um, no, it's still, they're still cool on PCs because you can sort of you know, move around with your with your uh, with your mouse, but um, but anyway, we are definitely interested in sort of you know how people get there, you know how they use the list, um, and also ways that we can sort of take it apart and put it back together later in the year. So, like Nikki was talking about, how that 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 sort of um, when to go aspect of it, which is I love that part of your list. Um, and one of the things we're going to do this year is um, sort of do it in a slightly reversed way, where we surface particular places or groups of places on the list at various times of the year when it makes sense. Is that, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. so, so sort, sort, of, sort of like, you know, ideal summer destinations, you know, in say March when people are planning their summer trips um, or, you know, ski as ski season approaches, you know, in the Northern hemisphere um, sort of. And you benefit from having a big list. <laughs> and we, we do. We, that, that, that is true. We One do, for yeah. every week. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's, <laughs> Yeah, um, and it's and we we can sort of deep link to to each item, so we can sort of pop them up like on social media and stuff when when um, when it makes sense. Okay, so the the last question that I had was, um, are either of you going to any of the places on your list this year? Yeah, I'll be in Myanmar in two weeks, which was on our list. Nice. nice. So I'm very excited about that. That's the first one that I'm going to cross off, and I'm very much hoping to cross Sri Lanka off this year maybe in the fall when Wild Coast Lodge opens. Um, we'll see what else I get to. But those are the ones that are kind of set in stone right now. Awesome. Thank I have you. one very probable one, but I don't want to say what it is because I don't want to, t- it's a story that I'm working on. I don't want to tip it. Oh. But but I, there's one place that I'm on the list that I'm I'm probably going to. I'll, t- I'll tell you the place that I would love to go back to that I've been to that like reading the item, I was like, oh, I was Puerto Escondido, which is, uh, on the Oaxacan coast. I'm dying to go back to Oaxaca. I haven't been in seven years, something like that. Um, so uh, that the, the when we do the list, like I always get sort of a rush of, you know, <laughs> like wanderlust and we put it together. But then when the photography comes in, that's oh. when I'm really like, oh my God. It's dangerous. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's like you have to have somebody hide your credit cards. <laughs> yeah, it really is true. And and like there's, I mean, there are places that like I'm I'm just realistically never going to get to, but um, but I have sort of designs on. But there are other places where I was like, could I, could I make it to <laughs> Ryukyu, the islands in Japan? Like, is that realistic? Probably not. I have a four and a half year old, so I'm probably not going to Japan this year. But um but uh, but yeah, so there's definitely. I mean, it's it's there's there's places, and you know, I might end up in Canada. It's yeah. very very possible. Yeah. True. Pretty easy. It would. I could drive there. <laughs> you there by You've got no excuse. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, this was really fun. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So we've been talking about places to go, and here's a place that Skift is going this year: Europe. We're holding our first ever Skift Global Forum Europe on April 4th in London. Find out about this and other events at forum.skift.com.
This show was produced by Ben Glowey, who can be found on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Assistant editor Sarah Enlow provided additional support. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Skift on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a comment to help other listeners find us. Past episodes and a link to subscribe are online at podcast.skift.com. And this has been the Skift Podcast. Thanks for listening.